Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Rolling. Take one. Is it going to be alright? And welcome to All Through a Lens. This is a podcast about film photography where we discuss a little more than just film photography. I'm Vanya. And I'm Eric. On this episode, our 73rd, we'll talk to Jordana Coleman, a photographer whose art doesn't end with either the photograph or the print. We'll also take a look at some much-needed inspiration from a few little-known photographers. There's some tips on making anthology zines, as well as a zine review, the answering machine, and oh, so much more. Atomic batteries of power, turbines of speed. Buckle up for another exciting episode of All Through a Lens. Uh, but first, before we get to any of that, Vanya. Yes. How the hell are you? Holy shit, I'm great. <laughs> that sounds believable. All is well. I've been, you know, hanging on there. It's fucking holiday hell already. Holiday hell season, you guys. I saw my first Christmas commercial. Oh, wow. What are you doing watching commercials? Exactly. It's it's silly, but yeah, so that happened. But I still haven't heard the Mariah Carey song yet, but, you know, it's soon. Okay. I'm sure it's coming. Sure. Sure. So, yeah, holidays, time of year, blah, blah, blah. It's, I mean kind of a good time for taking some kind of amazing film portraits of friends and family and maybe even some clients, right? Is anybody doing that? I would like to. I haven't, though. I haven't been doing that. And I've been kind of thinking I'm going to kind of push myself a little bit more into that uh, photographically speaking, like business-wise. I, I want to do some more um portraits kind of through holiday season so yeah i don't know usually i get people asking me and i think that if people ask me this year even though i've been saying no for like i don't know five or six years i think i might say yes this time so you're gonna do like what kind of portraits for christmas film portraits of course well yes but i mean like christmas card portraits or what are we talking about here yeah someone asked for like a christmas card but the thing is if they're asking me, then they don't want the the peer shot, I'm assuming. They want something else. So they're going to have to trust me. <laughs> so what they're asking for is like sexy elf. Possibly. Okay. I mean, it, it could. there's so many options. And I, I really feel like with Christmas cards being so boring and digital and that stupid Photoshop soft light weird like bleached out color kind of drives me insane and i think we just need to kind of like do something different i think okay. it's time you know the style needs to change okay so we need to do something more fun like what happened to the like ski portrait remember that no. everybody up on the hill ski no. style i don't remember that we never did anything like that it was christmas sweater deal. yeah we didn't do that we didn't have like a family newsletter or family <laughs> portraits or anything like that for christmas Weird. i mean we had family portraits but nothing for christmas yeah i don't think so. we didn't either honestly okay so where are these ski what are, they, what are you talking about well, those were like the people that had money that you would get. You'd get those cards in the mail. I vaguely remember that. I didn't pay a lot of attention. 
Wait, so you guys didn't have like Christmas cards? It, like you didn't get Christmas cards in the mail? Well, of course, yeah. We'd get normal, you know, regular Christmas cards. My mom would all, would sticky tack them to a door. And so we'd have yes, like- Yes, it was a door. It was on a fucking door. I remember that. I, I guess you were my sister then. But I don't remember getting like too many photographs, but I guess there were like one or two. There was always like the, I guess it was like the, like the kind of the rich family who would want to show off the front of their rich house in their rich. Yeah. Or the ski, you know, they were like, oh, here we are in fucking whatever. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know if we we did that. (laughs) I don't know about that. I think we, we should just get a little bit more creative with it. That's all. So yeah. If you guys live in town and you want me to take a picture of you for a Christmas card, possibly like maybe on a sheepskin rug, you know, or something like that next to a fire. Okay. Um, I'm down. Let's do this shit. I'll bust out some Portra 800 and we're going to fucking have some Prosecco and chill. <laughs> Prosecco? I don't know. What's Prosecco? Prosecco? It's like sparkling wine. Oh, okay. There's differences. I don't know what the differences just, are. Uh... I am the wrong person to ask. If it's in front of me, I probably will drink it. If it came from a trunk, I will probably drink it. It does not matter. No, I just want to walk out in front of a bus. <laughs> Good. So, Eric, before you run out in front of the bus, let's finish this episode. And let me tell, just tell me what you've been kind of out and about doing, kind of painting the town, right? Well, okay. I went out for like two hours one night last week. So, yeah, I've been going out a lot for me. I went to a show, uh, Sarah Leopold at Sarah Leopold Photo, had a show for a new series she's been working on. And I, I don't hang out with people like ever. It's, not something I do. I don't know if it's something I enjoy, but I did it. So it was in a little cafe and like a lot of people filtered it out, but there was never like a ton of people there at once. So that was kind of nice. I got to spend some time with Anna Starr. We reviewed her zine Plastic Perspective a couple episodes ago. Yes, Remember love that. that. Mm-hmm. Um, I hung out with her for a little bit. We bitched about Mixam, the zine printing company, and it was weirdly cathartic to know that there's somebody else out there who's having the same problems that I'm having with zine publishing. I got to meet Abel, who shoots, I believe, a Super D-like camera. He did not have it there with him, but uh, we talked about cats, and that's always um, really, really nice to talk about cats. So I got to meet somebody who you hung out with recently. <laughs> it shows how small the photographic world can be. So a couple of weeks ago, I got a call from you saying something like, yeah, I'm out shooting with a few people and this guy's barfing. He's like really sick. <laughs> so yep. his actual name is Forrest Bork and he was shooting this 3D printed camera that looked like a beefed up version of the Polaroid Big Shot, the one that Warhol would shoot sometimes. Oh yeah, okay. And this one took Instax wide. I don't know if he had that when he was with you. I don't no, know where it didn't. came from. But it has like this this large like format lens on like a Fujinon or something like that. It was kind of cool. It was neat, like hanging out with people that I had never talked to before. But we still there was still like some connection there. Like with Anna, we reviewed her zine, and with Forrest, he barfed near you. And it's always yeah. it's always nice to to have like a connection. Absolutely. It was really, so I actually never have shot with them before. So I was really looking forward to it. And then it just seemed like we kept hitting roadblocks. And one of them was that he was really, really sick. And I felt terrible because we are going to obviously shoot again because we didn't get to actually do the entire day that I wanted. I took him kind of down to this like super sneaky secret place where I can kind of 
park at my aunt's, but you just have to like deal with my aunt for a few minutes. Uh, <laughs> but it's totally worth it because there's like caves and it's like a magical place. And if you actually want to go there, you have to hike a lot further. So yeah, but he couldn't do that because of the barfing. Dude, he hiked all the way down the trail wow. and like kind of like hung out for like 25 minutes and then we're like okay you know what we're going this is enough are we gonna carry him out or not so yeah he i mean he definitely tried it was kind of amazing then i heard that he was basically out for like the next 24 hours with like a hundred and something fever i yeah. never got sick everything was fine but it was just such a bummer so yeah i'm very i'm looking forward to just redoing that again and also kind of meeting up with just analog photographers in general is always fun because it's it's almost like like oh what out like what outfit do you have on today it's kind of like oh what camera do you have today are you shooting medium 35 what do you got <laughs> See, I, I was really happy hanging out and talking photography and other stuff with them yeah so pam and i have decided that we're going to start doing day trips to bakersfield together <laughs> uh, i mean if you could go anywhere in the world why wouldn't it be bakersfield yes it has to be bakersfield yeah. of course it's kind of like in the middle you know and, of nowhere yes <laughs> and they have a great old downtown and mm -hmm. fun fun stuff well that's what's been going on with me not a lot but kind of a little bit so um why don't we start the show let's do it Each episode, we put on our house slippers and cozy cardigans and check our answering machine. We ask listeners to call in and leave us a message answering whatever weird-ass question we come up with. And the weird-ass question this week is... Well, it is if they could no longer make film and you had a single shot or single roll, but what or where would you want to shoot with it? So we got a, a fair number of answers and they're kind of varied sort of all over the place which i, I think is Ooh. is really wonderful let's push the button let's hello is it me you're looking for i can see it in your eyes i can feel it in your voice i can feel it on the phone hi this is lionel richie leave a message after the beep I mean, so I feel like about 500 people are all going to say I would take a picture of my cat, but I would take a picture of my cat. And, like, not just because I like my cats very much, um, but because, I don't know, like, any time that I've tried to come up with something particularly meaningful or poignant or compelling or whatever, like, it always just sort of misses the mark. And so I think I'd really rather... Uh, you know, not worry about trying to assign too much meaning to that last shot and instead, uh, you know, just realize down the road that maybe I have a special picture. And if not, that's cool. I've got plenty of others. His cat's going to outlive him. Yeah, he is. And he just decided that. I mean, there's no parameters, really. You know, we don't set up a scenario where you're dying. But in this case, the cat will outlive Nick. And that's okay. Everybody knows that animals are better than humans. So I agree. Perfect. If film could no longer be manufactured and I had a single shot left, I would go home to Sacramento and take a picture of my grandma. That would be nice to have. Um, just because she has like really heavy set dementia and I haven't been able to really go home and see her. That's just what came to mind whenever I 
read that prompt. So, yeah, that's my my answer to that question. That was CJ. And I don't know how possible it is for you to go home and visit your grandmother, but if we could give you some unsolicited advice, it might be that. Yeah, if your grandma's still around, absolutely. And if she's not, then just get your knee tattooed in memory of her. That seems weirdly specific. (laughs) Want to add any context to that or? Oh, yeah. No, I got my knee tattooed um, and it was like kind of something for my grandma. Oh, cool. Was your grandma really into knees? She was really into tattoos. She was covered. I don't think that's true. Okay. I think that's a perfect, honestly, that's just the perfect answer. Hey guys, my name is Ryan at Hikes with Film on Instagram, and I'm finding myself in this situation right now with Polaroid Pack Film. I'm down to my last three boxes, about 30 shots, and with them being about 12 years expired, I've got to use it before they totally go bad. So I'm doing a photo series I call Cool Friends Doing Cool Things. I live up here in the Adirondack Mountains of upstate New York, and have had some really weird jobs over the years. They've included making maple syrup, uh, working at an off-grade canoe shop out in the woods, doing botany research with endangered alpine plants in the high peaks. So I'm taking my Polaroid back to these places and getting shots of friends in action. Um, up on the mountaintops or inside hundred-year-old hydroelectric generators, uh, climbing fire towers, or just cold nights of stoking the fire and boiling maple syrup. Um, All these unusual situations are kind of what it means to be living in the Adirondacks. I like the discount canoe. And was it discount canoe? Second-rate canoe? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. The canoe shop in the woods. It's really neat to hear about people's like jobs they had growing up. It's always fascinating to hear what people have done because it is like things that you don't even expect sometimes. You're like, really, dude? That's what you did? Oh, wow. That's that's interesting. So yeah, that's neat and fun and so unique and also special, like kind of perfect for the pack film project because I get it. Like it's it's so annoying. I have some pack film. I, I actually didn't have any pack film. And then one of my super awesome friends, Kiki, sent me some more. And I was like, why would you do this to me? <laughs> now I have more. I can never get rid of it. It's so hard. So yeah. We were talking to Lisa last episode sort of about this. And I'm not sure if it made the cut, but how she kind of had to had to put the wall down between her and what is it, Spectra film? Mm-hmm. Where yeah. it's just like, okay, I, I'm, I'm done. It's it's over. I need to be able to end this myself. And she came to terms with it rather than, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, I got another box here. And oh, another, someone sent me another box here. She's just like, this is it. I'm done. And I like that. I, I like that, you know, taking control of, of the shortage of film, I guess. <laughs> Have you done that with anything? Fuck no. I mean, I try. <laughs> I try all the time, but it keeps on falling into my lap, which is great. I'm not, I'm, I'm honored that anybody would want to give me pack film because that shit is like, honestly, what I should do is just keep it. And then maybe it'll pay for Marley's college in like two years. Maybe. Okay. Follow me on this one for just a moment. You may remember the Orson Welles broadcast of War of the Worlds. And it wasn't quite the hysteria that the newspapers made it out to be. But a few years later, it was rebroadcast in Ecuador in a way that made no attempt to tell people that it was fake. And the hysteria was absolutely through the roof. And this happens sometimes, where people believe that the end of something or other has come. Like Hurricane Katrina and the police stealing water from from flood victims, this sort of thing. 
where they thought it was the end of the world, whatever it was, there was this vague group sense of the end of something. And it might be fitting, since I don't know for sure it's the last rule of film, let's capture this, this sense, this group sense of the end, whatever that might be. Of course, it's never really the end, is it? Do you remember the scene in Poltergeist 2 where what's the, the, the crazy preacher cult guy God has taken his his flock into like a cave or something and there's the end it's the end times and they are all going to uh die there and be taken to heaven but instead they became ghosts mm -hmm. you know you can do one or the other you're gonna die in there all of you you are gonna die Being raised Southern Baptist, that is my view of how the end times is supposed to be. And I watched the movie as a kid and I'm like, yeah, okay. So, yes, that. I think I'm more like what Robert said. Like, yeah, it's the end times, but also it's not because it's a beginning of something else. It's the beginning of you coming back as ghosts to haunt a little blonde girl. Obviously. Yeah. Just how it works. This house is clean. Ken Bertram here at Ken Bertram Photo. I would take the first and last picture of Mars with Portra 400 and my newly acquired Mamiya RB67. Dude, can you imagine? You're like finally getting the, you're like, I finally got my camera I want. I got the RB67 and then poof, this is the last roll. <laughs> the only roll you'll be able to shoot in it. And I'm on fucking Mars. Right? I mean, gotta dream big, right? And far away. Dream big or don't dream at all. That's what they say. So, but it's true. The, the first people to go to Mars will very likely die there. Because it, it takes like six years to get there or something? Well, it takes a long time to get there, but there's also the radiation that they really don't know how they're going to deal with. Oh, yeah. And, okay. you know, how are you going to, are you going to be able to launch a rocket off of Mars to get back to Earth? That seems kind of unlikely. I'm of the mind of that, like, you can, you know, and there's like women there with like three boobs and stuff. So, I don't know. Okay. So, we'll go to the next. Uh, Dave here, the old dumpster flower. Um, this one was really easy for me. I would take a photo of my wife and I in front of our house, kind of like that uh, American Gothic painting. Um, you know, I have a photo of us when we started dating in our mid to early 20s, and you know, it's one of those photos that you know, as time passes, means more to us, and I'd want to capture that moment. I love that. Yeah, it's the sentiment that you come to expect by somebody who goes by the name Dumpster Flower, honestly. Seeing the beauty in everything. The beauty in everything and recreating photos that you've taken of you and your wife when you were just mere Just pups, wee ones. Just wee ones. And yeah, Dumpster Flower equals sentimentality. I love it. Okay, and our final one. Hi guys, Michael here. So... Before I'd even press the shutter for the first time, I'd go through my entire photography archive and meticulously pick 11 scenes with the biggest potential that, in my opinion, past Michael failed to 
capture fully and leave it to the future Michael to do so. Then for the very last shot, I'd host a party or an exhibition of some sort celebrating analog photography, during which I'll take the self-portraits of me and all the people invited being people who help to shape me as a photographer throughout this journey. Cheers, guys. Well, shit. Yeah, that he really thought about that. <laughs> it was really good. It was a really good one. He, he got it in just under the wire. He was the last one to leave a message and like, oh, okay, well, this took, this took you almost two weeks to figure it out. I, I, I commend you on that. That's sweet. Yeah. It's like a, a weird homage to the photography community in general. Yeah, it is. And then just having the celebration at the yeah. end, I like, how, can I be invited? I would hope that you would make the guest list. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> or at least the catering staff. <gasps> you know what? I have definitely been catering staff at a lot of parties. <laughs> I can imagine. So give a listen to our next episode of Dev Party to hear our own take on this question. Do you have a, a, an idea formulated? No. No, I don't really either. But No, I'm just going to, the day will decide. Yeah, I'll probably copy off of somebody else's work. But until Ooh. then, Vanya, what is the next question we will be asking? Tell us about your muse, your source of inspiration. So call our answering machine and leave us a message. And by call, I mean, uh, go to Instagram and leave us a voice message. And if we like you very, very much, we will play it on the next episode. The deadline for that is Tuesday, November 29th. There's been a growing number of anthology or compilation zines released lately, and we love it. We really are into these. An anthology zine, if you don't know, is one that features multiple artists. It's not like most zines, a single photographer's work, but a bunch of them put together. This is awesome, as it exposes us to work of people we probably wouldn't see otherwise. You know, we, we've reviewed several of them recently. There's something that I think we could do to make them even better. This isn't a new idea, but it's actually one from, from way back. It's kind of how you and I and, and a lot of other people who did zines back, you know, back in the day, as they say, how we did them. So the way it works now is that after your photo is selected for the zine and that the zine is printed, you have to buy your own copy if you wanna see it. And sometimes they offer a discount, which is great, but still, I think we think it's, it's, a, we think it's a little unfortunate. And in a perfect world, we as photographers would of course be paid for our work. And obviously in small renzines, that's just not possible and it's, it really shouldn't be expected. As an editor, however, there is still a way to thank our photographers who are gracious enough to submit their work to our publication. We should hook them up with a copy of the zine they appear in, On the House. It's a great way to thank them for working with us. We've both printed a bunch of our own zines and we understand the cost. It's kind of a large upfront investment, but we have a couple of tips that might help you with the situation. One of the things you can do is factor the price of the zine, including shipping, for your collaborators into the final cover price. You might have to raise it a couple of bucks. The chances of you losing sales from that, however, are, are pretty slim. People are really understanding of prices within a certain range. And the extra cash you bring in can go to covering the cost of these thank you copies. It's just a nice way of saying thank you. On the other hand, it's possible that you might have too many collaborators. 
if you have a zine with like 20 or 30 different photographers in it, it's, it is going to cost you a lot more to send those zines out. So if having like maybe a dozen or fewer, that would be, that'd be easier to do. There's also the added benefit of fewer photographers in that each photographer themselves can get an extra page or two and you can really put their work forward. You are using people's work for free <laughs> and then you're going to have them pay as well. So it's, it's a little like it, I could see that being a little bit um, hard to take. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there are some exceptions. You know, if your zine is for charity, then as much money as possible should go to that charity. And it's understandable that you'd really not want to give out free copies. Also, shipping overseas is pretty expensive. Maybe you could work something out where they'd pay for shipping, but this, the zine itself would be free, something like that. And if you absolutely have to die on this hill and feel there's no way you can afford to give a copy to the photographers whose work you're using, then be upfront about it. Treat it like a warning label. Before they submit the photo, get it out in the open. If you want a copy of the zine you're in, you'll have to buy it yourself. Yeah, and we, we don't want to dissuade anybody from putting out a zine. Anthology zines are awesome and they can absolutely be done on a modest budget. It's a lot of work, but we're not talking about work here. You know, but in the end, charging people to see their own photos feels, it feels a little bit like a pay to play scheme. Remember like the old payola bands would pay, would pay uh, radio stations to play their song and it would go up in the charts because of that. And that's, it just seems a little bit like that. Obviously it's not that weird and grotesque, but it just has that feel. If we want to use someone's art in our own zine, the very, very least we can do is give them a copy of that. Just, yeah, just give them a free copy. That's not that big of a deal. And most importantly, if you know of a zine that does this, just support them anyway. This is a really small issue. We are absolutely not telling anybody to boycott anything or call anybody out or anything ridiculous like that. If someone is selling a zine and you'd like it and you can afford it, fucking buy it every single time. Our guest today produces work that is as confrontational as it is controversial. Her methods are unconventional, and the results push us to reckon with the history of photography and how that history affects us to this day. We were honored to sit down with Jordana Kalman. Let's roll the tape. We'll just start with growing up. Did you have a connection to photography? Yes, my dad uh, was a photographer. I mean, he is now still one. He had his like, you know, his regular day job, but then he did um, like freelance mm -hmm. photography, like um, photojournalist stuff. This is way back when, before digital and stuff, when there was still like print media. We worked for local magazines and would do stuff like that. And we had a darkroom in the house. Oh, You know, when I was little, when my mom would be like, that's it. Kids, go hang out with your dad. <laughs> they come. can't stand it. Uh, <laughs> we'd go down and hang out in the darkroom. We'd, I can't photo, photograms. Is that the right word? Yep. It's like with a, like an eight by 10, you put stuff on top of it. Yeah. yeah. Like letter magnets and you just pop them on and make the photograms and stuff. And so that was always fun. And, but then, you know, when I became a teenager and I started to become interested in photography, I learned. He taught me how to develop film and make prints and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, from a pretty fairly young age, I was involved. Did your dad ever ask you, like, hey, you want to come in and print? Or was it something that you were, like, when you were ready, you asked him, like, hey, can I come in here and yeah, mess around? Yeah, I was just like, time to do photography. <laughs> and 
you know, I think I was pretty socially awkward um, teenager. And, uh, you know, photography really allowed me to, I want to say, communicate with people in a way or be in charge, feel like I was more in control of the situation, just having that sort of control and um, telling people what to do. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then like being into it, like it was, it was a lot of fun, you know, and that's what pretty much once I started, like, that's what we would do when we would hang out is just do photo shoots. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know really know what to do other than, Hey, let's get together and take pictures. Like what do people do? Other than that, uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. honestly, I'm not sure at this point in my life. <laughs> uh, so, could you explain the typical process for your work? Where you use prints as subjects? It kind of started because of two things that were happening that kind of came together, and one of them was that I was, you know, shooting nudes, and just they were just like straightforward nudes, pretty much. I was on Tumblr mm-hmm. at this point. And posting my stuff, and uh, it was this was 2012, and I would post some pictures, some nudes, and it, was, it would get like a couple likes and new blogs, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm famous!" You know, because this is really like my first uh, venture into social media. I started to look where they were being blogged to, and it was like porn oh. sites. Oh, like, yeah. and I would write to every single blog and be like, "Take my work down, I'm an artist," mm-hmm. and some of them were just like. You're an asshole. Oh, can I say, can I swear? Oh my, yeah. Yeah, we speak fluent French. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you know, my pictures are are just like, it's just like a lady looking out a window. Yeah. You know, it's not sexual at all or erotic. She just happens to be nude because I felt like I didn't want clothes to get in the way, mm-hmm. really. I felt like they were dating the work and it was becoming such a hassle to like figure out what I wanted the model to wear. It was just like, just be nude. Yeah, You know, so much easier. My favorite thing was when I found my work had been put behind a paywall by somebody. Damn. Like, to pay, like, he'd stolen my work off Tumblr and put it, like, with a bunch of other people. And I was like, he's like, oh, I'll, you can have the password for free. I was like, um, take my work down. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's crazy. It was crazy. So it was, there was that aspect of how can I remove my work from this sort of porn category and really assert that this is my work you know it's mine and i felt like turning the photograph into an object did that like here's a print and it's an object you can hold it and this is mine mm-hmm. so it it's it it creates a layer of separation between the viewer and the photograph and also in the in doing that it created a whole nother meeting it became everything became more conceptual and, um, you know, I introduced other things like insects and stuff to sort of represent emotions and action. And also it was like super fun mm-hmm. putting, working with bugs because it's like so frustrating. And you, when you get a good picture, it's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> like, it's such a rush. Like, oh, the perfect picture. <laughs> the first time I really noticed your work was the one you did with the spider and the spider web. Oh, okay. And I'm not, I'm very, 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 uh, what is it? Uh, afraid of spiders. I'm just terrified oh, of spiders. Sure. And I yeah. saw it and I was just like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and then I looked at it. I'm like, no, this is, this is beyond fear in a way. <laughs> yeah. But that spider, first of all, that spider was probably the size of a top of a pin. 
Oh, like, okay. That was a, that was tiny, tiny, tiny spider. Oh, wow. He was really angry. Because <laughs> that was, I made that the day after Roe was announced and repealed. Mm. And um, I was honestly like physically ill. And I went outside and the web was just in the sun. So I sprayed it with water, um, which the spider didn't like. And then I just grabbed the nearest print that I've been working with was for something else and just put it behind the, you know, shooting that it was only like maybe 60 seconds before the light changed. So it was really like this very passionate moment of making that picture. And, and I, it, it made me really happy that it resonated with people because sometimes, you know, you make something and it's just kind of there mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, but this was such like, I was just so emotional when I made this picture and that people are really responded to it in a way I was very surprised. Like, I mean, that's amazing when it happens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is this something that you're just mindfully like going out and searching for these things? Are they just things that you've like collected that you want to work with eventually? Or is it just kind of things that you happen upon? The slugs started because, you know, I was doing a garden and the slugs are there and obviously like slugs. (laughs) And then but I was like, oh, this looks so great, you know. Mm picture yeah it's more just like i find go outside find something and like let's see how this looks let's see what happens and the slug stuff to me just seems so sexual in a way like mm-hmm. really disgusting but also just not at all like you can take it either way i think mm-hmm. i mean they're just really disgusting uh well changing gears slightly i wanted to ask you about the january series it's it's in your highlights oh oh the mushrooms is that what that is? Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That was fun. How did that happen? One year, there was like a crap load of mushrooms on my lawn, and I've never seen mushrooms like that. It was just like a crazy year, and there's just so many. And I was just, and that's, I just thought it was amazing and uh, so exciting. And that's where it began. And so I found them and I took them inside and started photographing with prints. And I was like, I wonder if I can grow them through a print. Oh, okay. I thought I thought maybe you were shooting them backwards, like pulling them through the print and then shooting no, them backwards. No, they're growing. They're growing they're out growing. of the print. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, out of the print. yeah. And they get so big, they just take over the whole print. Maybe like three days and they're just enormous. And it's really hard to keep photographing them because, you know, like I go to sleep. And I'm like, oh, I hope they're not too big. I hope, you know. <laughs> So I can get another shot and you wake up and you're like, oh my God, they're enormous. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. And oddly, like vaginas almost a little bit, you know, it's like coming out of her. But I was just like, oh, like, I think it's the fourth or fifth one where I'm like, oh, wow, this looks like lots of labias. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's even if you look through, I have like a close up of one of them and it's it's like wet and just really suggestive, just like... Am I gonna get deleted? You know, <laughs> it's a fungus. Know, it looks, it's it's a vagina. I mean, it, it's I mainly do that. one the one, the pink ones. Growing stuff is fun. Like I've grown plants out of prints, and that's not as it doesn't look as good in the photograph. But yeah, I really enjoy that. Okay, so uh, much of your work involves nudity, and because of that, your work has been removed fairly often from Instagram. How do you deal with this, and is there anything at all beneficial about it? Um, no. <laughs> Perfect. No, it's it's really been awful, and I think that there's a period when uh, my work was getting reported constantly. Mm. 
And it's just people just being assholes. Like, I don't get it. You know, find something else to do. I joined Instagram in 2013. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I didn't have a lot of followers at first. And I was just posting nude pictures and no problem. And I never had a problem. And then I think, you know, as I gained followers and were following, I started to get reported more and more. And it's really upsetting because just, you know, sometimes it's the algorithm. Yeah. I found that you post something and it flips right away to the fuck you screen. That's mm-hmm. the algorithm. But like I would post something and go to bed and, and you know, and wake up the next morning and, and it had been reported. Yeah. So now I just censor everything within an inch of its life. I don't post pictures of my kids anymore. Hardly ever. Because people were reporting pictures of my kids, which oh really pissed me off. Yeah. I mean, you can see the most scantily clad <laughs> woman in like like a barely there bikini. Like that's mm-hmm. totally fine. Mm-hmm. But you can't just post like a nude body like of someone just sitting around. And because, you know, my entire, you know, my audience is on Instagram. Yeah. And without it, I have nowhere to reach people. I have no audience. Yeah. So I have to be really careful because I'm terrified of getting my account, you know, messed with. Uh, so you use the same models throughout a lot of your work. Is there a reason for that? I've think it's really hard to find good models and models that like I'm really specifically looking for because I use them to reflect myself mm-hmm. and I just have a very specific taste in faces I think like I really want them to be to have a look of look good on film but also have a look of a little bit sad <laughs> very important and intelligent I mean just have that certain faraway gaze but mm-hmm. smart faraway and and people that i get along with and trust yeah time and money is limited for me so trying to find somebody and trying out all these models and trying to find the one so once i find somebody i really want to stick with them and plus because you know they they get to know me and my work and they know what i want and i can just like make a noise and then they'll turn <laughs> their head perfectly <laughs> and uh you know they'll put up with my weird directions and stuff <laughs> Do the models represent different characters? I mean, I think they ultimately, you know, are supposed to represent me. But, you know, I mean, we all have different parts of ourselves and everything. No, I love them. They're they're Mm -hmm. amazing. The the women I work with, um, Constance and and Kitty. Mm -hmm. Just awesome people. So let's talk a, a little bit about the Jordana and the Masters of Photography series. First, where can people see that? Well, my website. (laughs) which needs to be updated and then um it's also at blue sky gallery right now in uh, in portland it's up until until december 10th what's the general idea of it and how did it come about so in 2019 um i was approached by some women and asked because they were doing a project about the ratification of the 19th amendment uh called the yellow rose project and they had invited uh, over 100 photographers to make work based on that theme. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, like, really get into it. Like, I, of course, I like to vote. <laughs> you know, I appreciate it. <laughs> but I've always been able to vote. And I live in New York, so I haven't had a problem voting. Yeah. And I, when I'm making work, I just didn't want to make something like putting a yellow rose on top of a print. So, yeah. So I started to think about when I have felt... Like, I didn't matter. Like, you know, I didn't have rights. And, you know, immediately I just thought about being a woman photographer and what that means and um, how, you know, how I've been treated over the years and how many other women have been treated and how women are just absent from art history. So that's where it began. And thinking about, 
you know, my personal relationship with photography and how the influence of male photographers on my work is just so ingrained. I've been making work for so long and with the influence of male photographers, but at the same time, I don't get the same respect as male photographers. Even though I'm expected to make work like that, but then it's just ignored. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. woman. Like, it's just so awful. And make work and, you know, you look at it, I'm like, oh, this is great. And then it's just ignored, you know, or it's just dismissed. You know, I take pictures of my kids. Some of them are, you know, like, I love my kids' pictures. But some of them are good pictures and, like, good photographs. And you're just like, you're a mom photographer. You know, you immediately just, like, someone says Sally Man to you and then that's it. Yeah, yeah. see men taking pictures of their kids and they're fucking like lauded up and down like you wouldn't believe Mm -hmm. and oh it's poetic he's an amazing father blah 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 he's a family man and all this shit and it's like people are just interpreting it like second coming it's just so dismissive so i took you know master photographs and put my work in there cut out the middle of the to just sort of be like is my work always going to be bound by these pictures Am I ever going to be able to take photographs that are from my point of view? And I am a woman. And are they ever going to take be taken seriously? You have to explain it. But and some I've explained it, tried to explain to some people, and they just do not accept. They're because they're not listening. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like you're so angry. It's like, yeah. It's <laughs> so you're basically you're talking about men when you're saying that I'm assuming for the most part because it seems like I've had this conversation before and it's usually with men and it's like they I know exactly when they stop listening to me it's really incredible it's just like you know and to try and be heard and I feel like you know this series is about you know photography and it's all stuff you love men it's like male photographers and then listen to my problems with being a woman and it's just they just they shut down. Yeah. They just do not care. Yeah. We don't generally like women who who bring that up. We like women who will tell us that, like, well, we're just... Just like you guys. Just like you guys. And like, it, and allowing men to essentially be unchanged. And yeah. Yeah. We, we, we really enjoy that. And when we're faced <laughs> with something that's different than that, we, um, we aren't... We do not like that. It's a shame because... You know, it's just like there's so much out there that you could be learning. Women's photography and women's point of view is like a whole nother thing to learn. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I find that male photographers, sorry, not all male photographers, but so many just like just do not want to grow at Mm -hmm. all as photographers, as artists, you know, they just do not just completely just shut down and just will talk and you know, so many times, just like I've been talking and you can just tell they're just not listening. And it's crazy. And I, for so long, I thought it was just me <laughs> that I, you know, that did not realize because that it was because I was a woman. And then finally, it just really, you know, over the last, you know, five or six years, I finally realized, you know, because of the Me Too movement, really, and women being like, this is how things are. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> this is what the problem is. I was like, I always thought I had a terrible personality and people didn't want to listen to me. No, that's not it at all. It feels like I'm not just talking about my own photography. I'm talking about a problem in our industry that is a huge problem. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been this way and it continues to be this way. Yeah. Little Um, gains are made here and there. And 
it seems like so often we we backslide very quickly from those gains. Mm-hmm. Like most. Oh things. yeah. So with your Masters of Photography series, how how do you go about selecting which photos to use? Um, a lot of the pictures I chose were pictures that were significant to me in learning about photography. That or pictures I've loved, like the picture you uh, you mentioned, the Emma Gown picture yeah. of Eden. And that was one that really, in my history of photography class in, in college, learning about the picture, the professor talking about that picture, mm-hmm. it really struck me. And, also, and something about that photograph is that, you know, it's like this really intimate moment between the both of them. And she's performing for him. And just imagine if that was her like a self-portrait of her, like how that would be received, you know, it would not be received well at all. Like people like, oh, this gown photo, it's incredible. It's it's genius. But if that was a self-portrait she took of herself pissing on the barn floor, you know, people would say she's disgusting, you know? It would be one, the same photo would be considered like, you know, beautiful art or kind of like a dirty punk rock thing. Yeah. Even though it'd be the same. You're right. Yeah, I'd have interpreted yeah i didn't see so, it like that at all i mean and i think the the gallons have the pictures there in that book the model life a lot <laughs> of pictures and i think edith is just such a strong woman and it, also with georgia o'keefe like i think she really dominates in front of the camera and it's really but at the same time it's like who's whose name is on the picture emmett gallon you know people know his name they probably wouldn't know hers yeah. and mm-hmm. again who has control? Who gets the credit? I mean, ultimately, he has the power. It's an amazing photograph. Yeah. But that was sort of where why I picked that one. And also, it was impossible for me to cut into Gowan's work. Like, some of the some of the pictures I wanted to use, like, I could not cut into them. They were just so sacred to me. <laughs> like, oh, it was so interesting. really hard to cut into them. Um, a lot of them. But I felt like it was necessary for yeah. me, you know? And... Um, and it wasn't out of anger doing that. It was it was really out of me like I, you know, like I'm a part of this world too. Yeah. You know, I make work too. So again, I wasn't like so mad <laughs> at these pictures. It was really intense cutting into them. Um huh. and again, I could not cut any gallons. So that's why that his is uncut and mine is and mine is cut around him. And you you see his photo through mine. The way I saw it, when I when I saw that you were doing that and what you were doing, it, it the first thing that reminded me of was sampling, and like hip hop, you know, uh-huh. how they <laughs> they take a beat or a riff or something and paying honor to it usually and and make it yeah. their own and mm-hmm. make it something different and something new and that's that's the first thing that it reminded me of. I'm doing an artist talk for Blue Sky on the 7th. I'm going to start really promoting that hardcore on my Instagram. I feel like it's not just about me and my work. I feel like it's, you know, like I want to, you know, tell women like, look, this is how it is. This is how I felt for so long. Right. Do you guys feel this way? And, you know, it would just be nice for men to show up as well and listen you know, I mean, the talk, the lecture I gave for SBE, you know, like there's barely any men there. It's like, yeah. you guys are the ones that need to hear this. <laughs> are you planning on publishing any of it? I mean, I'd really like to make a book yeah. of this series and have the like the little capsule series in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I honestly, I do not know who would publish it just because people could be like, this is copyrighted material. Well, it's it shouldn't be since it's a uh, commentary. It's fair use. I don't know if a publisher would would be interested in sort of getting into that. Yeah, I, I have a book published with Daylight Books, mm-hmm. and that was at the end of 2019. That's still available, though, right? Yeah, it's on my website. Mm-hmm. 
go get it there. I'm sure Daylight still has boxes of it. Well, hopefully we can relieve them of a few of those. Speaking of that, I saw that you have a Patreon also. Oh, yeah. No, well, let me tell you what happened with that. I did not want to get to Patreon, but through my website, I had in last year, a year ago, I started started a, a print of the month program. There's, you know, my website and then there's the payment processor for the website. Yes. Two months ago, I got this email out of the blue from them asking me what I sold on my website. I'm like, I sell my books and my art, you know, prints. Yeah. And they wrote back and they were like, your account is terminated because you sell pornography. It's like, what? So I wrote back and I sent my CV and I said, you know, like, I'm an artist. You know, I have a fucking master's degree, you know, in photography. Give me a break. I'm not a pornographer. They wrote back and they were like, we don't allow nudity. So I took all on my on my shop site. I took down, you know, I censored, put white boxes in front of everything with nudity i was like here you go reinstate my account and uh, they said we don't allow implied nudity so i took all the images off my website off my shop site within just titles and wrote back and i was like okay all (laughs) the images are gone now can i have my account back and they said no you're uh you're high risk you're a liability so you cannot have your account back so that was not only for my shop then i couldn't process payments but my subscription service, um, which is all my income comes from, was through this place called Stripe. Yeah. And um, so that was gone. So I just scramble and start a Patreon and basically lost my entire subscription following. And I mean, it was really disgusting. And the worst part is, is that Stripe, who says that I'm a pornographer and they won't you know, work with me, they're the uh, payment processor for OnlyFans. Are you kidding me? It's awful. It's just like, but, but, hello? Yeah, I mean, they basically killed my business, more or less. And I didn't really realize how bad it was. Like, I was like, this is going to be bad. Uh, But um, I didn't realize how bad it was until, I think, just like last month. I was like, and Patreon is so expensive. It's way more expensive. And they take so many fees out and then PayPal who I have to use now is also extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so I just subscribed. I'm so excited. I'm going to do the print of the month, but we're going to actually make sure that there are links. So anybody listening right now, you can check out her website, see all her work on there. And then also her Patreon will be uh, on there as well. Thank you so much. That's, That's all true. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm really looking forward to December 7th. So everybody also just December 7th. And we'll make sure that we plug that But when the date gets closer to. There'll be a link for that. And you can um, go ahead and sign up. It's a Zoom. uh, I think it's just like a Zoom, right? Yep, It's free too. Yeah. I mean, it's free. You just have to register. Nice. Thank you so much for asking me it's been such a pleasure to meet you guys and talk to you yes thank you so much (laughs) well have a have a good night thank you so much thank you guys thank you bye Bye. Bye bye with winter coming on it's always a good practice not to get out of practice this means that we probably shouldn't completely stop shooting so maybe from time to time we'll talk about projects we're trying
right? We often feature photographers in this segment. We'll devote 20 or 30 minutes talking about their lives and their work, but sometimes they're photographers who slip through the cracks. Maybe there's just not much information about them, or maybe their work speaks loudly for itself and it's really just something you have to see. Both are the case in this episode. But we're not just going to tell you about a couple photographers. We're going to take a look at a couple of their photos, look at how they were composed, figure out how they move us, and then try to draw some sort of inspiration from them. In this episode, Vanya will be exploring Elizabeth Withington, a frontier photographer. And I'll be doing the same with Burned and Hilla Besher, a photography couple who are mostly known for taking photos of industrial structures. We will start with you, Vanya. Sure, let's do it. All right. So Elizabeth, um, also most people call her Eliza, Withington was born Elizabeth Kirby in New York City in 1825. And that is much is known about her life before moving and settling down with her farmer and shingle maker husband, George V. Withington at age 20. (laughs) So pretty simplified. He was a shingle maker. Yeah. Shingle maker. You need shingles. You do. And is that a job now or just, just like something well, I mean, makes somebody shingles? Makes shingles. Do you think so? They're made in a factory. They're most of the tar shingles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. So she resided in St. Joseph, Missouri, where she had one daughter. And in 1849, George, like most men, joined the gold rush and moved to California. Eliza would make the journey to visit three years later with her younger daughter in tow. George at the time was operating a ranch in Amador County, and Miss Withington already started to look into different avenues to help supplement their meager income. With this new place fresh in her eyes, she considered how fertile and beautiful the landscape was around the ranches and mining areas. So in 1856, Eliza would wander back east for the sole purpose to learn photography. So unfortunately, there is very, very limited work of Miss Willington's pictures. But the one thing that was like really unique about her is that she took a lot of landscape photos, which is kind of rare for that time, especially for being a woman. So I picked two pictures. So the first photo that I picked is a cabin with some dudes outside. There's some, it's made of wood and it's a wooded area. It's just like a really full photo. There's, it seems like in every single spot, there's something going on in the photo. And I just thought it was like really, really neat to kind of see there's like guys laying down on the ground. There's some guy like kind of crouched over, like sitting down. The, the, the detail of it is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's completely stunning. So another one was one of her stereoscopes. So she did a ton of these, which I thought is so neat that, you know, you don't really hear about women doing stereoscopes. So this was like kind of really interesting to me. So yeah, it's just a mining scene of very, very rural West Coast life. So why this photographer? Kind of obsessed with early women pioneers in photography. Just being in that era of time and trying to be respected as a photographer must have been like extremely challenging because if you were in the same, if you heard the same interview I did, kind of seems like we still struggle with that to this day. I'm sure many were lured in because it was a novelty to be getting a picture taken by a lady because she also did portraits as well. But just like the fact that it was basically a male dominated field and then she was raising not only one, but two children 
and looking after a home and then starting a photography business like in a small town. It's kind of amazing. It's like incredible. So why did you pick these particular photos? Miners Camp, stereoscope image images. She did portraits. She was a writer. She, you know, she wrote an article on like how to take landscape photos, like for a, for a magazine a long time ago. She was a photo business owner. She was a mother. She was well-traveled on a budget as well. Like she didn't actually drive. She took like fruit carts and public transportation. So basically Eliza Withington is my muse. <laughs> she is everything I want to be and achieve in my life. Her work might not seem extraordinary, but considering the time and the obstacles, the tenacity she had just exudes badassery. <laughs> So one of the things we're doing with this project is trying to allow a little bit of those photographers to affect our work, sort of being influenced by them in a way. Yeah. Yes. So how do you think Eliza Withington will affect your work? She was an explorer and found ways to create landscapes when most said it was impossible. Using her petticoat as a makeshift developing tent and parasol for the practicality and function of protecting her view from the sun when assisting in her climbing mountains and sliding into ravines. I mean, she's just amazing. And she kind of just finds ways around things without a ton of money. You know, she had a limited budget, but she was still able to go out there and do these things. And I just think it's like really amazing. And that's kind of my vibe. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) So what are what are you planning to shoot? So actually, I just received my portable darkroom and I'm really excited about it. I haven't even posted anything about it yet. I'm even scared to touch it. It's so beautiful, you guys. It's so pretty. I don't have a petticoat, but I do have a little small dark room. And I will be hopefully, fingers crossed, taking that out on the road. Just wet plate in general. I've been so stuck and stagnant here with work and life. And I'm just desperately needing to get out and, and photograph. And I think that with... All the excuses of like, oh, I don't have enough money or I can't do it because of this. It's just like, no, you know what? Like if Eliza Withington in 1878 could do it, then I can do it right now. So you're being, you're allowing yourself to be influenced more by the photographer's behavior and practices than her photography specifically. Yeah. Perfect. Basically. Yeah. That makes sense. There's no reason not to do that. So on a side note, I just wanted to mention that Lee McIntyre's Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols has an episode about Eliza Withington and was the inspiration for Lee's podcast title, Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols. So uh, we have a link for that episode if you guys want to hear more about her. Also, if you haven't heard Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols, you guys definitely should listen. Yeah, it's a great podcast. (laughs) She does like such an amazing job. Okay, so... Eric, tell us about the uh, the Germans. <laughs> the Germans. Well, I will tell you all about the Germans. So both Hilla and Bernd, their names, were born in the 1930s in Germany. Both were still children during World War II. Following the war, Bernd was a painter and Hilla took up photography, taking after her mother. While Bernd dabbled in printmaking, Hilla became a freelance photographer in Hamburg. She took jobs in aerial photography as well as in advertising. Meanwhile, Byrne became interested in painting industrial structures, often photographing them as well. 
Hill studied under a photographer whose compositions were centered and very symmetrical. So in the late 1950s, both enrolled in Kunstakademie, the Art Academy of Dusseldorf. Soon after starting classes, they met each other and they soon discovered that they not only had overlapping interests, but complementary interests as well. What each brought to the collaboration added to that collaboration. Byrne, who had already been painting industrial scenes, showed Hilla some of his favorite locations. At first, it was little more than just a location to explore while they got to know each other better. But before long, Hilla started bringing her camera. Following their graduation in 1961, they got married. He took a job documenting bridges while she found work designing for trade fairs. These jobs, as well as being okay with modest living, allowed them the free time and energy to start their life's work, the work that they're remembered for today. And almost from the beginning, they established the parameters for their work, which I think is really interesting. They'd photograph industrial structures in such a way that each print would render the subjects in an almost identical fashion. That's not to say they took thousands of photos of the same thing. They shot thousands of blast furnaces, coal tipples, water towers, oil towers, cooling towers, grain elevators, and various other structures across Europe and North America. And they did this for four decades. They also shot industrial landscapes and some detailed shots, but for our purposes, or for my purposes really, we'll be focusing upon the structures which made up the bulk of their work. So in 1974, in an interview, they explained it like this. We wanted to collect the information in the simplest form to disregard unimportant differences and to give a clear understanding of the structures. We wanted to provide a viewpoint or rather a grammar for people to understand and compare different structures. Everyone has seen these structures, but it is not so easy to know what changes and what remains the same. It is this kind of information we are trying to provide. So Bernd and Hilla shot in black and white, usually with a 25 ISO emulsion, which would pour them the least amount of grain as well as the highest resolution. They'd also use a large format view camera for a very important reason. They'd often photographed tall towering structures. If they'd have shot them with a normal camera, the buildings would appear distorted, sort of leaning back, like, whoa, and much thinner at the top. With a view camera, which has a lens that can be moved around to distort the image, the photographer can make these buildings seem like they aren't leaning back. It has even fooled some viewers into thinking that they had positioned the camera dead center of the tower on like some tall scaffolding. They used a variety of lenses from the widest they could find to the most telephoto. They'd stuff all of this, plus a backup camera, tripods, ladders, and more into the back of their VW bus. At first they shot on glass plates, but in 1970, they switched to film. That's insane. That's Can you imagine? I mean, they were they're hardcore. They're very Yeah, they were. Very German, very stuck in our ways. We are we are very steadfast people. Looking at their prints, this changeover from glass to film, it's essentially undetectable. So, how about you describe the photos that you're looking at right now? If you haven't seen the Bescher's photography, let me explain it a little bit. Well, the Bescher's took a variety of photos. It's their center place structure photos all had a very similar thread running through them. Because of the methodologies they established, like immediately when they started, each print found the subject dead center. There was always some foreground, often a road or some trees. The sky was always white, completely white. In their prints, it's pure white. In the books, mm -hmm. they tone the skies a little bit so that you could differentiate the sky from the page. They published, and they published a lot of books. They published books that featured, for example, a different grain elevator on each page for like 250 pages. As you hmm. flipped your way through the book, the grain elevators slowly change from one version to another. 
It's almost like a flip book where a quick succession of flipping might render these structures like they're breathing and morphing and mutating. It's really fucking fascinating. I mean, I kind of know why this photographer, but tell everybody why this photographer, Eric. I don't remember how I stumbled onto Burned in Hillebesher. It might've been when I was doing some of my industrial landscapes in Seattle, which I don't think I shared all that. My, you've, you've seen almost all of them. Yeah, but, I remember when you got the book, but I don't, I think it might've been when you were doing the industrial stuff. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think I shared much of them like on Instagram or anything. They are in a zine, but I don't think I shared them on Instagram. Um, I found what they were doing interesting, but not at all my style. Like their landscapes, mm -hmm. fine. But the ones where just the tower is in the dead center, that's yeah. not what I do. So why these photos? One of the things I like doing with photo books is getting photo books of photographers who shoot nothing like me at all. And a lot of my favorite photographers, like Imogene Cunningham or Anna Brigman or Nell Dorr, none of their photos are like mine at all. And I love that. And I can, I'm able to be, well, maybe take inspiration from these weird places that a landscape photographer might not normally pull from. So the more I looked at these and at the more and the more I looked at their books, the more I fell in love with how they're arranged. I still have zero desire to shoot in their style. I don't want to ape that, but I think I want to try it out for a specific reason. Okay, you know, I mentioned before like the tilting of the lens and moving of the lens around, it, it distorts or it really undistorts the tall buildings. Mm -hmm. I'm really bad at this. And it's a skill that I would like to have. And so that's really how the photographer will affect my work. I think if I were going to incorporate something of their work into my regular style for this project, I want to sort out my rise and tilt issues. Okay, so how are you planning on doing this, shooting this and why? Well, okay, south of Seattle is a former nuclear power plant. Actually, I don't think it was ever open. So it's like a former almost nuclear power plant. Hmm. But the cooling towers are still there. And I thought here would be a good place to try this out. Shooting cooling towers is kind of a, a neat opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, the Besher photographed similar cooling towers, actually really similar ones. And these are the generic standard issue nuclear power plant cooling towers like you'd see on The Simpsons. Nice. Yeah, it's very much like that. I grew up around through my island and any photo you would see of the cooling towers over like a like a, like a housing development with the cooling towers, but it was always ominous. You know? Yes. And that's the issue I have with, with like the pretty much any photo involving a cooling tower is automatically politicized. Mm -hmm. People assume that you're making some sort of anti-nuclear energy statement because they're big and they're looming and there's usually houses around them. Mm-hmm. It's honestly why I haven't bothered photographing nuclear power plants at all. And that's really the big reason, especially the cooling towers, which are iconic. I'm very pro-nuclear energy. It's clean, it's efficient, especially compared to gas and coal. And so this photo that I'll be taking, it's just a photo of a cooling tower, nothing more, nothing less. Sometimes it's just a tower. It's mostly gonna be with your large format camera. Yeah, yeah. If I would shoot it with like the RB and maybe I'll shoot one just to kind of compare them. Yeah. The tower would seem odd and distorted. Like I'm shooting very, very low because it's very, very tall. You can't really tell if it's on the ground or if they're up high. Uh, the way that they have everything kind of straight is it's really yeah. stunning and adorable. Like how amazing would it be if you just had this like little magical like photo couple that travel around and take pictures together? And they travel in like a VW bus, not ironically, 
They're not like little hipsters out <laughs> they're not there doing like, this. They're not van lifey at all. No, they're just doing this on their vacations. They work regular jobs and they'll take a vacation where they travel around and, and do this. And that's that's wonderful. Before I stop talking about them, um, for Patreon subscribers, uh, there's an interview with their son in the back of the newest book about them. Mm-hmm. And it's about an hour and a half long if you want to read it. But if you'd rather listen to it, I, I did read it for you for, for Patreon. It's it's there if you're if you're a member. If you're not a member, well, you can subscribe and listen to it. It it really makes you fall in love with them. It's a very wonderful, touching interview of their you know of their son talking about his his parents. He is also a photography teacher. He's able to explain what they were doing in ways that we can all understand. He's yeah. a great communicator with that. That's great. We're really excited to go out and try this. So excited, in fact, that this will not wait for the next episode. We'll meet back up with some negatives on our next dev party. I don't know how that's going to work for me, but I'll figure something out. Hopefully it'll work for you. Yeah. And we and the future me (laughs) will go over it and see how it turns out. So, every episode, we really try our best to review a couple of zines, and uh, this this episode is no different. I have a zine to share with all of you. It is called The Closing of a Corner Store by Amelia Bajessi Puffin, and I may be pronouncing the last name wrong, and I do apologize. Now, you'll remember her. She's the woman who does Smash the Skatriarchy and Skating with She's and Hers. Yes, I have those ones. I love, 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 love. Awesome. Tell yeah, us about it. we've reviewed, or actually you've reviewed them before. I have. Yeah, so now it's my turn to review one of Amelia's zines. So this isn't your typical photo zine. It's a black and white Xeroxed half-size zine. I guess it's Xerox. I don't really know what passes for Xerox these days, but it looks pretty Xeroxed. Here, Amelia shows and writes about the last days of a neighborhood's Rite Aid, and she calls it a corner store, which is a quaint term that brings to mind the romantic notion of a small mom and pop shop or Mr. Hooper's store on Sesame Street, for those who are over 40. But many neighborhoods in our cities have long ago abandoned the notion of corner stores. They've been replaced by chain drug stores like Rite Aid and CVS, But now with gentrification and the rising cost of living, especially on the West Coast, even those chains are pulling up stakes and abandoning the communities they served for years. The idea of Portland, Oregon, where this zine comes out of, is that of a weird place full of eccentric white people and with with dumb mustaches writing penny farthings. And yes, that's true, that's all there. Most of the city, however, is like any other place. Its residents are struggling to survive. A proper grocery store could be miles away. And so a place like Rite Aid, which stocks slightly more food than a convenience store, is essential to life. Not just a place to buy food and fill prescriptions, but as a meeting place, somewhere where you're known by the cashier and your other neighbors in line. These places, they become part of your home. And while this Rite Aid was going through the death throes of liquidation, Amelia spent a few days with a camera and notepad. She talked to her neighbors, took their photos, and recorded their thoughts on this loss. There's Rose, who felt bad for the employees. Freddie, who had lived in the neighborhood for decades. Tylina, who grew up there. And Bolo, who saw this as a greater plan against the Black community. She then takes us on a short tour of their neighborhood and into the empty store. Returning a few months later, she documents the RVs in the parking lot, the fourth round of them following a series of sweeps by the city, which shuffle the homeless from place to place in a sort of game to keep one already gentrified neighborhood from complaining too much. 
She ends with Roberto, a man tasked with selling the remaining fixtures, anything not bolted down inside the old Rite Aid. He's friendly and just trying to make a living. Out of kindness, once the store is cleared, he invites her in for a last look at the gutted shell. I know I'm going on too long about this, but Amelia documented what I see happening around me in Seattle. Mm -hmm. These types of zines are essential. Nobody else is or really could tell this story. This isn't a story for your local paper. In a way, it's a good companion to Jess Hobbs' photos and video of the demolition of a similar convenience store in her old hometown. I think she's she's actually still working on that on that project. And it also reminds me of a news report that went viral a few years ago. A TV news crew covered a fire that took out a Dunkin' Donuts in the Pennsylvania coal town of Shemokin. I grew up pretty close to there. It, like Amelia's Rite Aid, was a cornerstone of the community. Online and on late night TV, the residents were made fun of for mourning the loss of a chain donut shop. And to be fair, the one guy they interviewed is pretty funny on purpose. Actually, a pretty funny guy. But their loss became the butt of the jokes. The talk show hosts and whatnot were punching down. And there aren't really any answers here. Capitalism and its best pal gentrification have fucked over and fucked up a huge segment of our population. It's important that zines like Amelia's be bought, be read, and, and be created. You can pick this zine up in her Etsy shop, which is Smash the Skatriarchy. Uh, we will, of course, have links in all of the show notes. Please do. She has a bunch of zines for sale. Author Lens is made possible by our generous and amazing Patreon subscribers. Through their small monthly donations, we are able to afford to keep this podcast running. Patreon helps us cover expenses for hosting, for audio equipment, and it helps us buy books so I can read for research, of course, and zines to review and all the fun stuff. To our Patreon subscribers, thank you. We really couldn't make this podcast without you. And we've got a new Patreon subscriber this episode. So a big, huge goddamn thanks and welcome to Tim H. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoy your stay. When you subscribe to us on Patreon, you get monthly bonus you get monthly bonus episodes, full-length interviews, like the one we did with Jordana just now. Some random posts and photos and much more extra nonsense, of course. We've got three levels of support with the cheapest being less than a buck an episode. So head over to patreon.com slash authorlens for more info. Well, Vanya, I think we have made it successfully through our 73rd episode. The big 7-3, as they always say. Yep. What are you up to next week? Technically, next week is, I think, Thanksgiving, and I don't want to do Thanksgiving. I kind of want to go to a hot spring <laughs> and photograph. Sure. <laughs> so that's the plan. And I kind of need to do some photographing because, uh, you know, Eliza Withington is fresh in my mind right now. So that's kind of what's up for me at the moment, hoping that the weather is reasonable. How about you? What are you doing? Well, uh, I talked with Sarah Leopold at her show, and I think we're going to be starting up our Duwamish project again. Oh, good. Yeah. I, I'm not sure how much I talked about it last winter. I really have no memory of last winter. Like you, I'll be shooting for this little project we have and the, uh, the closed down nuclear plant. Wonderful. And what's coming up for Dev Party? Well, as we did mention, hopefully with any luck, we'll have our not 
uninspired shots. So it's, what's the opposite of inspired? It's not the opposite of inspired shots. There we go. Not the opposite of inspired <laughs> okay. shots. And we'll be developing photos on Dev Party. And if we can't make it work, it'll be the Dev Party after that. Right? Yeah, that works. It works. Well, you'll see them at some point soon. Is there anything else you got to say here, Vanya? I do. Okay. The holiday season is among us. And I just wanted to say to everybody, thank you so much for listening to All Through a Lens. We love you very, 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 very much. Okay. And a a big thank you to Jordana Coleman for talking to us. You can follow her work at Rabbit Sparrow on Instagram. And we're on Instagram at allthroughalens.podcast on Instagram. By email, it's allthroughalens.podcast at gmail. You can also check out our show notes and photographs on allthroughalens.com. Vanya is at surfmartian on Instagram and at silverwavesofgrain on something that might be called granary. And Eric is at conspiracy.of.cartographers on Instagram. And speaking of Instagram, make sure to hashtag your stuff, hashtag all through a lens podcast to be featured. Find us on Spotify or any podcast application. Subscribe and leave a review, please. Thank you all so, so much for listening. We love you. Goodbye. Oh, Vanya. Uh, yeah. Do you want to go out and shoot? Fuck yeah, I do. Let's go. I can't look at you because it's literally like driving me insane.